0: Today's scripture reading will be Psalm 105 1 through 5. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonder wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in His strength. Seek His face always. Remember the wonders He has done, His miracles, and the judgments He's pronounced.
1: Happy Thanksgiving! Oh, it's coming. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter eight, please. How many of you like me? Is your favorite holiday of the whole year? Not many. Oh, okay. How many of you like your birthday better? No, I'm not just joking. Love Thanksgiving. Love the football. Love the turkey. Uh, But this is the time of the year for what I want to call geopolitical arguments. And that has nothing to do with the president who was just elected. It has everything to do with some food items that most likely are going to be on your Thanksgiving table this next week. The debates rage every year over whether it's stuffing as they say in the north, or whether it's dressing, as they say in the south. I'm curious, which one do you say at your house? Let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Dressing. All of you who said dressing are absolutely right. (laughs) There's another battle that goes on that involves one of my absolute favorite pies. Should we call it pecan pie, as we do in the south, or should we call it pecan pie, as they do in the north? (laughs) Well, let me tell you how one grandmother helped her grandson figure out how that works He came home one day and said granny A boy at school told me about one of the pies that you cook at Thanksgiving that we pronounce it wrong He said we should say pecan And we always say pecan And he said so granny I need to know which one is it She said it's pecan He said well how do you know Because when I was a little girl and when we went to sleep we put the pecan under the bed at night Oh, <laughs> I think that forever settles that question. It's pecan. <laughs> Before we get comfortable this morning, I'd like you to do me a favor. I'd like you to get some of these out if you happen to have them in your purse, have them in your pocket. Everybody, please. If you've got a set of these, I need for you to get them out for me. All right. Here's what I need for you to do. I need for you to put them in front of you about right here. I need you to follow my lead, all right? Okay. I want you to keep doing that until I say hey, all right? All right, everybody join me. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what would it is to ride in a one horse open sleigh. Hey! Oh, you guys are going on the road with me. Now, keep them out. because that's not why I had you do that. But I did want to have some fun with something that I hope stays with you uh, longer than just this morning. Um, Especially those of you who have these, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. What opens with those keys that are on your ring? Don't say them out loud, but just to yourself. House, maybe a car, maybe a safe deposit box, maybe your parents' home, maybe a locker at school. Maybe a bicycle lock. One of the keys on my key ring belongs to actually Carline's Carlene's house in Ruidos in New Mexico. I didn't even know I had that on there, Carlene. Do you want that back? The truth is, regardless of what you have as far as keys on your ring, their purpose is the same, every one of them. To gain access to something that locks others out. Now, that could be for many reasons, but every key basically has the same type of of usage and that is it's required to enter into something others are meant to be kept out of now go ahead and take your keys and put them in your lap for a moment i'll come back to them in a minute i have a feeling that since we've been talking about living life to the full the last couple of sundays several of you believe this that you were one of the few who didn't get a key that when it comes to living a life of meaning and a life of purpose and a life that matters, a life that has joy in it, not something that we have to try to manufacture, but joy and true peace in it, some way, somehow, you feel like you've been looked over, locked out, access denied. And I want you to hear one more time before we begin to move on from this This teaching that God has brought before us for this church at this time in our lives. And that is that there are some keys. Specific keys that God spells out in His Word, both in the Old Testament and in the New. Psalms 34 in the Old, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 is worth repeated in the New. Where He says, there are some some specific life keys that open doors to good days in a great life. And I'm not going to go back and rehash some of those teachings... But they're there. Psalms 34, repeated again in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Keys that open the door to good days and a great life. But I do want to be clear about this. Everybody, everybody gets a key. Everybody. No one's left out. The question is, is will you use yours or not? Because just because you have keys on you or in your presence doesn't mean that they've given you access to anything. Isn't that right? Right now you guys have a bunch of keys on you, but but they're not actually giving you access to anything. They're on you, they're yours, but they're not opening the door to anything right now. So just because you have keys doesn't mean that they open the door to anything. Which is why we've been saying the last couple of weeks, God's love's unconditional. You can't merit it. You can't earn it. But when it comes to enjoying his life, it's absolutely conditional. It hinges on some keys. It hinges on some things that we have to do in order to tap into that life. You've got to engage it on his terms. To enjoy his blessings, his keys offer access to his life. Now, that's all by way of review from where we've been so far. But one of the keys we've been looking at specifically in this short series is the powerful key of life called, right there on the screen, giving thanks or thanksgiving. And I want to underscore for you as as someone who not just is teaching a lesson today, but who has experienced this, it is essential to gaining life to the full. And you have no doubt noticed, I promise you, those who... (laughs) are not using their key because they are rather obvious in their speech. They're rarely quiet about the fact that they're not living life to the full. We call them gripers. We call them complainers. We call them naysayers. We call them grumblers. And chances are, if you know of someone who just simply complains incessantly, they will tell you it's because of circumstances they can't control. It's their kids that's locked them out of joy. It's their lack of money that's locked them out of joy. It's the fact they don't have the right car or the right house or the weather's not right. Something, the government, neighbors, you name it, has locked them out of living life to the full. The problem is out there, though, isn't it? It's an outside problem. And that's the reason why they've been denied access to life. Everybody else is to blame, not them. And so... We hear it. But the truth is, the struggle's inside. And until I understand that truth, until I get my, my mind around it and my heart around it, and maybe sometimes my friends around me with it, I'm never going to get this living life to the full thing we have included in our mission statement. I think we get the, the loving God. I think we get the loving neighbor that that's important to us as a church But Jesus said, no, 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 we can't stop there. I came to give you not just existence, I came to give you life to the full. And if we're not living that, if we're not inviting people to that, something is less than what we call ourselves, the church of Jesus Christ. It's unacceptable. So be warned, friend, if you're a complainer, as we saw last week, God takes griping seriously. He takes it so serious that we saw in Numbers chapter 11, thousands of people die for one reason. Complaining and griping and fussing. Why? Because he knows the danger of a grouchy spirit to friendships and marriages and jobs and churches. And especially those he'd like to have in those churches. And so he warns us to limit our influence. This stunned me. To being around gripers. To being around those who are ungrateful. Remember 2 Timothy 3, 1-5? through 5? This one stunned me. That right along with the list of those who are brutal. And those who are abusive. And those who are conniving. And about eight other uglies. He lists right in the middle of it. The ungrateful. And the point is. If you've got somebody on your staff, if you've got someone on your, across from your dinner table, if you've got someone in your church who's just spewing all the time, God says, here's exactly what he says at the end of that verse, have nothing to do with them. Really? Right along with the abusive and, and the conniving and the treacherous, you're going to throw the ungrateful in there and tell us that if, if they're influencing our life too much, just don't have anything to do with them. Yes. Because that influence is that damaging, it's that destructive, it's that hurtful to your life. Even to someone who's full of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And that's kind of where we, we can't last week. We spent a lot of time there. We, and we moved on a little bit, but not much. So here's the question I want to bring us to today. How do you break this complaining curse? How do you break this griping curse? It's not with getting all the outside stuff right, or the outside people in order if that were true, we would never experience life to the full because I have no control over the outside stuff or very little, or the, especially the outside people. But God says, I want you to know good days and a great life are possible for you. So it's got to come from the inside. And Jesus demonstrates perfectly what it's like to get it right on the inside when all the outside is going topsy-turvy. Here's where we spent a little time last week. We just enjoyed a meal that he initiated with these words. As he took the bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks. He gave thanks. But doesn't he understand the the betrayal that's in that room? Yes, but he gave thanks. Doesn't he understand the faithlessness that's in that room? Yes, but he gave thanks. Doesn't he understand the, the power brokering that was going on even as he was as praying over that meal? Yes, but he gave thanks. He gave thanks for what he had. I just don't think that's a little, bit of, a little bit of a note from Scripture. I think it's a huge truth from Scripture. The one who was about to be put to death for the sins of the world wasn't thinking he was locked out of anything. Hear me clearly. The Hebrew writer says in chapter 12 and verse 5, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Really? (laughs) I mean, that almost sounds absurd. How in the world is that possible? Well, the short answer is this. It takes a key. Got that key ring in your hand? Just, Just squeeze it where it's at right now. It takes a key. All right? And it's being thankful to access the kind of joy that you just heard about when Jesus says, you can have joy... Before experiencing a horrific death, yes. You can have joy when you know that you're about to experience betrayal and rejection and injustice, yes. Wow, that's a joy on a level I don't know. No, but it's possible. Because God in the flesh shows us that it is. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. Getting to that place is a learned experience. That's what we saw last week. Paul says, I've learned to be content when I've got a lot and when I've got a little. But it was a process. I learned to be content, and it's going to be a process for all of us. And we can learn a lot about that process as we focus in on Christ, and so we've been doing that. Jesus used this life key first on a night of major difficulty. Now I want to show you this morning that Jesus uses this incredible life key in a moment of major need. Major difficulty? He gave thanks. Major need? Notice, He gave thanks. Now, if you haven't already turned, please be turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. We're really going to spend some time there in a few moments. But to set this passage up, can I, can I just be a little confessional? And, and ask a question along with this, because maybe you struggle with it too. Do you struggle with feeling entitled? I've got to tell you, I do. I struggle with my mindset at times of thinking, I ought to have. I'm owed. I deserve I'm due. That's entitlement. Now, in our society, it seems to be used a lot when talking about the poor and the fact that that our government helps those who are poor and are struggling. And and they say, well, they struggle with feeling entitled to something. No, it's not just the poor who struggle with feeling entitled. Everybody feels like they're entitled. Amen? Thanks for confessing that. Those of you who didn't, shame on you. We all feel entitled. We do. Every single one of us. That somebody owes us something. And it's one of the keys to why we we struggle so much with having a heart full of thanksgiving. I want to show you a text here that we're going to look at in a few moments that I think begins to help teach me how to change some of that. Let me pull this up on the screen here. There we go. During these days, another large crowd gathered, since they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days now and have had nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can we get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. Well, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and had, there's those words again, given thanks, he broke them and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to people. And they did so. They had a few small small fish as well. And he gave thanks for them and also told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. Bow with me for a quick second, Lord. This is your word to us today. A story that that we're kind of familiar with. Maybe some of us here who are are just tasting church for the first time, trying it on again. Maybe don't know it that well, but but we're pretty familiar with this one. And we understand the disciples. And we realize, Father, that we're not the only ones who... um, Who struggle with entitlement, who struggle with feeling like we're owed, who struggle with wondering if you're ever going to be able to provide enough for us to be happy, truly happy. God, I know this morning, right now, David Danielson's probably in the midst of preaching a great lesson at Impact, and we're asking you to please be with him and his church family as they struggle with some of the same thoughts today, as they struggle with how to be more faithful with what they have, and trusting you with providing for us what we don't. Father, we want to be a church full of joy. And I pray from this text today, could you help us walk away with some truths that would help lead us closer to being a more thankful people? In Jesus' name I ask all these things. And we say amen. I think you know this scene well. It's the feeding of the 4,000. I'm sorry if I got behind on the slides there. And it's an amazing scene to me. It's a familiar one, but I think it's still amazing. That Jesus is able to do it, yes. But even more so maybe to me, that the disciples have forgotten that Jesus is able to do this. That's what really is amazing to me. Two chapters earlier for us, in probably a couple of weeks and maybe a couple of months, the scene's different and the crowd is a little bit larger. Actually, there was 5,000 then. But healing and teaching had been going on. And there were some folks there who were in a place where they couldn't get enough to eat or didn't bring enough to eat or however it worked out, but they were hungry. And Jesus has compassion on both crowds and in both times says, Let, I want to make sure they got something to eat. And in both instances, the disciples say the same thing. Well, where in the world are we going to get enough food for these people? Now, understandably, in Mark chapter 6 or two weeks earlier or two months earlier when they deal with this for the very first time, that they might say that. Wow, Lord, I'm looking at thousands of folks here. And they say then, not even a half year's wages would be enough to feed all these folks. said, well, tell me what you got. And they they found a little boy with a sack lunch and had five loaves and two fish then. And Jesus gave thanks. And he broke the bread and he broke the fish. And when they were done, they didn't just have enough. They had more than enough. 12 baskets fulls are taken out. Now, fast forward, and here we are again. This is a smaller crowd, 4,000. They actually have more of a pantry. They've got seven fish and se- I mean, they've got seven loaves and several fish. And yet the disciples are still saying, "Where are we going to get food to feed all these people?" Hello, Mr. Golden Corral's right here. Heavenly days, you you put him around food and it just multiplies. How in the world could he have decided on 12 knuckleheads who can't remember that God's capable of doing anything? Because that's all he has to choose from is knuckleheads. Us included. Who are constantly prone to what I want to call grace amnesia. We just, we constantly get grace amnesia of all the gifts and the things that, that God has done in our lives that are just, not just amazing, but border on, if not they are, the miraculous. And when it infects us, all of a sudden now we can't remember the verses of His faithfulness. and We can't remember the stories of His faithfulness. And we can't remember the moments of His faithfulness, not only in some book or some story, but in our story. No. Oh, we all struggle with grace amnesia, don't we? Even when we've been eyewitnesses to His Majesty. It's a tough malady. Forget entitlement and what I think I'm due and what I deserve or what I'm owed. It's all a gift, isn't it? It's just all a gift. And I got to tell you, I. I that's where I suffer from grace amnesia the most. God's allowed me to be capable in some areas in my life. He's allowed me to, to be able to do some things and accomplish some stuff. It feels like I did it. Standing up here, I mean, I've got, I've got ten pages of notes here. I typed those out. I spent the time Organizing 27 pages of notes and trimming it down and trimming it down and trimming it down and choosing some stuff to say and choosing lots of stuff not to say. I mean, I was in that. But I'm going to tell you, church, I, if it's any good, it's him. <laughs> if it's not, that's me. But I forget Yesterday afternoon, some people after the the service uh, at the funeral home came up to me and said, Oh, man, what a great way you ended that with that sermon illustration and how you tied it together. And I go, You don't understand. That that story was given to me by one of the kids. And I'm not telling you, as soon as I hung up on the phone with her, it was like he just dropped it in my mind. Now, sometimes it's that easy, it feels. And other times, like this week after that, it's just a grind to get some stuff out. But I'm learning it's all a gift. It's all a gift. And with that understanding comes this idea God's not in my debt, I'm in his. This cross has been up here for the last four or five weeks. It's a constant reminder to us when we look towards it I'm in his debt, he's not in mine. What's the answer to grace amnesia? I want to keep pointing you back to this one huge key: it's thanks giving thanks. Mark chapter 6. And we'll get to him in a minute. This is the one he's I want to underscore again, it's there in the feeding of the 4000, it's there in the feeding of the 5000, it's there on the night of the betrayal. He gives thanks. He gives thanks. It's a key to living That we see over and over and over again that combined with prayer, another key, combined with worship, another key, combined with service and studying the word, all of a sudden doors are opening for me to live like I've never lived. And if there's anybody who's taught me the truth about serving a God who can take what's not enough and turn it into more than enough, it is this character that I'd have to come back to. Anybody here seen this young man by the name of Nick? Quite a few of you. He just amazes me. And I probably met him about probably eight years ago in my life when someone first showed me one of his videos. But this week, God helped me remember that if anybody experienced not enough in his life, (laughs) a guy with no arms and no legs has probably experienced not enough. If there's anybody who felt like he was entitled to more, It has to be a guy with no arms and some legs. And there's anybody who's entitled to be maybe some bitter at life, to feel like they were looked over and left out, maybe even locked out. It would be a guy with no arms and any legs. Can you imagine being the parents of Nick when he came into the world? Would you feel like you were blessed or burdened? Once you had consciousness and you realized that you didn't have any arms or legs, would you feel like you were blessed or burdened? You don't learn to be grateful for this condition without some training. You don't learn to be grateful for this condition without some, some processing, some teaching. And I want to share with you, all of you who have arms and legs, you don't learn how to be thankful any other way yourselves without some teaching and some training. We talked about it last week, remember, from the time we can first begin to to speak words and to receive things and know that we're receiving things, we're taught to say two words. What were they? Thank you. And we have to continue the training. You can't just drop that. Or we lose more than just politeness. We lose the key to life. Listen.
0: I wasn't ready. I have no arms and no legs, but I'm very thankful that I have my little chicken drumstick here. (laughs) People freak out when they see me for the first time. It's so cool, I was at a water slide um, all by myself. Everyone obviously at the bottom of the slide is looking up and waiting for other people to come down, and here I come and they're freaking out, they're like, you know, like this. And I was so tempted to look at myself and go, what happened, you know? And there were times where I sort of looked at my life and thinking, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. And you keep on concentrating on the things that you wish you had or the things that you wish you didn't have. And you sort of forget what you do have. And there's no point, I believe, in my life where I wish I had arms legs, I wish I had arms legs, I wish I had arms legs, because wishing won't help. But what I've seen in life are just a couple key principles. And the first thing that I've seen is to be thankful. It's hard to be thankful, man. I'll tell you, when I was eight years old, I, I sort of summed up my life and thought, I'm never going to get married. I'm, you know, I'm not going to have a job. I'm not going to have a life of purpose kind of a husband am I going to be if I can't even hold my wife's hand? It's a lie to think that you're not good enough. It's a lie to think that you're not worth anything. Oh boy. <laughs> it's freezing. I can't feel my hand. I love life. You know, so many people come and say, "How come you smile so much?" And I'm like, "Well, it's it's, it's a long story, <laughs> but it's very simple at the same time." You see, it's very hard to smile sometimes in life. There are things that happen that you don't know and you don't understand, and you don't know if you're going to get through it. You know, you go through your storms in life, and you don't know how long the storm's going to be. And today, I want to share with you some principles that I've learned in my life that you can use in yours. being patient is beautiful I tell you it's the hardest thing but I realize I may not have hands to hold my wife's hand but when the time comes I'll be able to hold her heart I don't need hands to hold her heart you know it is scary to know how many girls have eating disorders it is scary to know how many people are just angry at life because of their situation at home and angry at others scary to know how many people actually feel like they're worth nothing every single girl right here right now I want you to know that you are beautiful you are gorgeous just the way you are and you boys, you're the man (laughs) on this DVD I share my experiences in life of how I've overcome challenges and seen a new, fresh perspective in life. To be thankful, to dream big, and to never give up. I speak to children, youth, and adults about key issues and principles that I've applied in my life that has given me the strength to conquer all that comes before me.
1: I think it's interesting when miracles get repeated in the scripture. And God does it with the feeding of the 5,000 then with the feeding of the 4,000 because I think he wants to say something about that feeling we all have inside that what I have is not enough. It's not enough. And I don't know what your not enough is. Your marriage isn't enough. Your grandchildren don't call you enough. Your friends aren't there for you enough. The church doesn't sing your kind of songs enough. It's something. Every one of us struggles with, I don't think I have enough. And the answer is Jesus Christ. And that can just be trite. But but God's trying to say, I want you to understand that when Jesus Christ is invited into not enough, it becomes more than enough. More than enough. Every single time Sometimes on the outside I mean, I I don't know how it happened yesterday We set up for 25 people We had over 60 people come to eat that funeral lunch And food for 25 was stretched to maybe close to 70 people How does that happen? Somebody will say Nona Wood She does everything I don't know that you'd call that a miracle But maybe you might have you had some times in your life when literally physically you've had some stuff that just multiplied and you're not quite sure how it did? Whether it was energy or money or, or people came to help, whatever. You've had that on the outside. But I think what Jesus is trying to say to all of us is this is really about inside stuff. It's about understanding. I mean, he did mention some some girls probably right here in our own congregation struggling with purging struggling with, with some level of how they want to remanufacture their body to fit some picture that they've seen because they feel like they're not enough. We got some guys, all right, who, who feel like that they've got to do some things that, that are against God's will and are immoral because they've got to prove they're enough. That's what their buddies are doing. But y'all aren't the only ones. Every one of us in this room struggles on some level of not having enough. And I just want to remind you, you know what helps break that? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. It's a key, I'm telling you. you no, know, it's a key. That the Scripture is pointing us to to say, remember the power of giving thanks. Even when circumstances on the outside don't look like it's possible at all. If you give thanks, something happens on the inside. And all of a sudden, not enough becomes more than enough. Now, how are we going to be able to do that? We started last week. We drew a line in the sand and we said, we're repenting of an entitlement mindset. Stomps right here. If you weren't here last week, let me tell you, that's where it starts. If you're one of those people that others would say, yes, complainer, griper, naysayer, how do you get over this it starts with saying I'm sorry unacceptable it's unacceptable to God it's certainly not getting me very far in this life it's unacceptable to me and God I'm telling you before you and the angels and the spirit and the, I'm sorry I'm sorry you are the one that I'm indebted to you're not in my debt and I just want you to know I'm sorry Now, where that goes to next is this, it's renewing our minds with a grateful mindset. I think, personally, most of us are gripers and complainers because we just got in bad habits. Maybe our mom or our dad was was just a griper or complainer and we just thought it kind of ran in the family. That's the way you did life. That's the way you talked around the dinner table. That's the way you talked to your kids. That's the way you talked to your employees. It's just the way mom did or the way dad did. And we've inherited some bad habits. And then sometimes, mom and dad had nothing to do with it. you are just gotten a bad habit of talking about all the things that you're, it's just not enough. I'm sorry, it's not enough. And that's all anyone hears about from you now is it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. How do you change that? You start with repentance. Your brokenness. I'm sorry, God. I, I don't know how I got this way. But will you help me out? And he says, yes, I'll be glad to. But it isn't going to happen instantaneously. It's going to mean a process of renewing our minds. It's, it's the worship he most wants. Remember Romans 1 and 2. That we don't allow the world to press us in its mold. And that, man, have you turned on the news lately? Complain, complain, complain about who's president. Because most of the news people didn't want that person to be the president. So wah, 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 wah. And I'm not pointing a finger to anybody. Because when I don't get what I want, you know what I'm tending to do. when, 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 way. You do it too. You break that by repenting, but you you take the next step to changing by renewing. And that's not easy. It's not just a sermon you listen to. It's not just kind of hanging around somebody who has a, a joyful, grateful spirit. No, it means some practice. It means setting your mind on something. Here's some scriptures that, that Paul gives us in Colossians 3.2. He says... You know, those of you Christians, I need for you to do something for me, Paul says. I want you to set your mind on, and he gives this list. Of good things, godly things, powerful things. But you're going to have to set. Not just accidentally remember it occasionally, but no, you set your mind. And he says in Philippians 4.8, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. If anything's excellent or praiseworthy, you think a lot about those things. Now, we run by scriptures like that, but... It's scripture's way of trying to say, this has to happen up here first before it happens through your behavior. I've got to change my thinking before I change my behaving. Every single time. Now, how'd that work for Nick? Who in the world would marry a man with no arms and legs? Somebody who's thankful. For who he is, not what he's not. And Kanea will tell you she is. And then look what happens. Little Kiyoshi is there in the middle. And I don't know the name of the one that's still inside. More than we can ask or think. What in the world is it that you're considering in your life is not enough. We want to help change that. When you leave here today, you're going to go out there in the foyer and there's going to be a couple of um, Vanna White clones and they're going to be handing some of these out to those of you who'd like one. They're thankful journals. They're the key to life journals. I told you the story last week of Ann Voskamp who was dared, challenged by a friend of hers, To write down a thousand things that she was thankful for. To help her get out of the depressed state that she was in. Had everything that that should have added up to life, but was still not enough. Great farm, great husband, six great kids, but still struggling with just every day. I'm not enough. This isn't enough. There's got to be more. And if you read the book... Basically, what she begins to tell you is slowly but surely, God began to transform my heart every day that I took my friend up on her offer and I wrote down a few things that I was grateful for. Well, your preacher is going to issue you a challenge. For the next hundred days, I'm going to encourage you to write down 10 things you're thankful for. Let's get after this, all right? Let's get after this with a sense of urgency. As if our community hinged on them walking in to a group of grateful people. You think that might change some of their minds? I think it might. Especially when we left here and we took that gratefulness into the office and onto the teams and into the school systems, wherever we went. I think they might notice some of us, especially in this room, had changed. I'm not pointing any fingers and don't you elbow a single person in here. We're going to help you with that We're not just going to preach about it We're not just going to point you to it We're going to help you practice it So for 100 days We're going to provide for you Free of charge A journal if you want one Now For those of you who are just phone people And you're not about to touch a piece of paper ever again If you don't have to We're going to provide a sticker That you can put on the back of your phone To remind you That Thanksgiving Is a key To life It's an absolute necessary life key All right And so stop by on your way out, put it on the back of your phone if you're not going to put it on the paper. But I am challenging, I'm welcoming you to, I'm encouraging us as a family. Let's get better about this. (laughs) Let's just spend some serious time reshaping and remolding some terrible habits. Of talking about all the time what we don't have rather than being thankful for what we do. And this is going to take some practice. And I can guarantee you in a hundred days, we're going to hear from some people how it radically transformed their life. And the reason is, not because Jimmy challenged us to do this, because the Bible promised that if we take every need and we bring it to God through prayer, call them supplications, call them things that we need inter- intercessory, but we do it with Thanks. There is this peace that comes into our hearts that passes all understanding, And some of you have thought, I have never got that. I know why. It's because you're convinced you just don't have enough. Guys, we're going hunting. For the next hundred days, we're going to be hunting everywhere we turn. Things in which God has gifted us. Oh, my goodness. And we're going to be writing them down. Left and right, we're going to be hunting. Ladies, there's a sale on, all right? There's a sale on, and there's gifts everywhere out there, and God's going to want you to find those things and put them down ten at a time every single day. And at the end of a hundred days, a thousand gifts are going to be yours. And I promise you, you won't be the same if you dive into this exercise. But you don't have to. It's your choice. All right, now get your your key rings out one last time. And no, we're not going to do another Jingle Bell song. Do you guys happen to have on your key ring, I mean, I have enough on here. Do you have at least one key that you've forgotten what in the world it opens? Here's mine. It's interesting that it says master. (laughs) But I don't have a clue what in the world that key opens. And I didn't ask my wife because I really wanted to come to this sermon with a great illustration. So she'd have told me what it opens. So I've, I've had of kept that between me and just God. Here's this key on my key ring that I don't have a clue what it opens. I'm going to make that my Thanksgiving key. Because you know what? I forget a lot to say thank you. And if you have one, if there's some way that you could mark yours or make it that the next time that you're opening the the house or the next time that you're turning the ignition on in the car, maybe, just maybe, it might help you to remember one of the greatest keys to life. Giving thanks. Father, we love you. We're entering on a journey that we alone can't do. But we are looking to you. We've watched you. Give thanks and to see how it's taken not enough to more than enough. Time and time again. And we're asking for your help now as we leave to become a better people who are not just full of regrets and doubts, but full of thanks. We want to, You invited us to taste and see if you're good. All right, God. It's going to take a lot to change some of us from gripers and complainers into thankful, grateful people. Do your best work. But we trust you to lead us to a place where we truly can mean it when we sing it. It is well with my soul. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If we can bless you in any way by praying over you, please come to the front so we can, we can do that with you. And if um, there's anyone here today who wants to be baptized in the Christ, uh, we will love to do that with you. We can't do it here because our baptistry is under construction, but there's a river out there, and it's really cold. You'll remember it for a long, long time. Actually, no. We've got some great brothers and sisters over at the Riverside Church, and I guarantee they'd be thrilled to let us use their baptistry today, all right? But if any way we can bless your lives, we want to. Let's stand and sing. Don't forget your Thanksgiving journals, all right? Let's go.